This is the Connector Podcast with your host, Connor Lynch. The Connector Podcast will bring you in-depth interviews with influential and inspirational makers, movers and shakers in our hyper-connected global world. This is the podcast for ambitious people who want to learn the secrets of success from experts and entrepreneurs in business, technology, marketing, social media, entertainment, and much more. Hey, this is Matt from Yoga Hub, and you're listening to the Connector Podcast with my good pal, Gunnar Lynch. I'm delighted to welcome Larry Bass to the Connector Podcast. You're very welcome this morning, Larry. Hey, Connor. How are you? Great, thank you. Uh, on Connector, we love to meet people who are doing great things, making great things happen, and you certainly fit the bill. Uh, your background is founder of Shina Will, which is a production powerhouse behind some of Ireland's biggest entertainment series like The Apprentice, Dragon's Den, MasterChef, and The Voice of Ireland. So you've certainly keep yourself very busy. Can you maybe tell us a bit about your background and how you ended up in such a you know an exciting role? Um, my I started actually quite young. I was aged thirteen when I started doing discos um, locally around Dunleary and Dalkey, Sally Noggin, all of that whole area, um, and part radio entered my world at around the same time. So I suppose uh, from a very early age, broadcasting was um, a big part of my life, and um, that combination of working in broadcasting and doing discos. And then because people knew you were the type of person who knew something about what a speaker was, a load of guys in bands wanted to get a PA together and started doing sound for them and started getting more involved in sound production. And everything from installing uh, sound and lighting equipment for disco bars, which became a bit of a boom um, in the early 80s, to working with um, nightclubs, installing equipment, selling equipment, organising the DJ, um, doing sound for fashion shows, stage shows and rock and roll bands. Mm -hmm. So my early years uh, straight after school was constantly working at some element of entertainment or Mm -hmm. events and I I moved to the UK, did a lot of sound um, and stage production. Didn't really want to live out of a suitcase for very much longer and um, came back and um, wanted to work in Ireland and did a degree when I was 28, went to Colossia Dulig, did a year there, and went to DIT in Ager Street and did a degree in communications. Finished that in 97 and started working in a post-production company first in Ireland, actually set it up. Um, decided post-production wasn't the world for me and um, set up Shinnewood Productions in 1999. So you were an entrepreneur at what age? Was it- 13. 13. 13. Uh, has that, was it inspired by family or just, no, just no, forward, no. how did that come about? No, my, my father is uh, still alive, thank God. He's, um, uh, he was a, a van driver for Mother's Pride Bakery. Um, the entrepreneurial thing, I don't know where it came from. Um, strangely, my brother, um, who's a, he, 16 months older than me, he set up and remember registering the company with him. It was like we had to go to the company's office. He was importing CB radios um, and he was literally a year older than me. I was around 12 at the time. So I don't know what it was. My mum passed away when I was 12 actually. Um, so we had a lot of freedom as kids. 
and we got up to maybe other people got up to all sorts of mischief we were doing we were interested in making money yeah. <laughs> very good um so that's um the background and then uh you you studied communications and Shinewill progressed and do you want to tell me about this was where did these formats come from and how did you end up getting you know involved sure. in these, these great programs um so when i set the company up originally i set it up with a guy called simon gibney who i met in colossia dulig um simon would have been a you know school leaver going into a course so i was 10 years older than him um turns out we we're actually from a similar area who's from capitale i was um from up the road in rogerston avenue and we ended up traveling back and forward to Kulak every day together so we got to know each other really well over that year and he was he was one of these exceptional students he was really um clever he was the guy who you know had an ambition to to direct i i always maintain i wouldn't be able to direct traffic but i was always interested in, in the deal i was mm. always in, interested in producing so we struck up a really good relationship and then when it came to actually putting the company together it was an ideal partnership simon left after a couple of years we we lost a lot of money on a corporate client um a couple of years into the business and his career was developing as a director and a director really needs to spread their wings and work for many people many companies and do many genres of work and simon's one of the top drama directors now in the uk directs shows like horrible histories and doctors for the bbc and you know he's uh, carved out a very good career so i was left holding the baby you know um company do i keep it do i keep going and i'd actually booked to go to a tv fair in las vegas called nappy which is like the north american producers association um and i wasn't going to go but i'd booked and paid for the ticket um and my wife convinced me at the time that if nothing else sure go it's a couple of days where you know you might just get to think about things and come back and sure enough at that um they had a conference on and one of the talks was on formats moving into the u.s so i went in sat at the end of the room i didn't even know what a format was um and the format that we're talking about was pop stars and it was this show that had come from into the states it's been a huge success um and it it, uh, it was originally started in new zealand but it was really supersized in australia and on the on the panel that day was the distributor, the agent, the production company, the network, and the original creator from uh, Australia. And I would up and doorstep them afterwards. Um, I was sitting in the room thinking, you know, Louis Walsh. I've done sound for lots of his bands. That sounds like a show that could work in Ireland. Louis could be a judge. Blah blah blah. I had done a lot of work in the music industry, so I knew a lot of people in the record business, including Simon Cowell. He was running a, a label for BMG at the time called Run Gold. And his biggest act at that time was Westlife. And he wanted Louis' next act. So mm -hmm. when Louis and I went to him with the idea of doing a TV show to find his next act, he didn't, he didn't even wait a nanosecond. He said, I'm in. Um, I felt at the time that the Irish public weren't ready for a smart-arse cockney guy as a judge. So we only had him as the record company executive appearing in a couple of episodes. We went with an Irish panel. What did I know? Um, and Simon became one of the biggest stars in TV ever since. But that was his first TV show. So you, I suppose, introduced him to the whole idea of the, the he TV format. He would never agree to that. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were certainly one of the first TV shows that he was involved with at that scale, at that level. Um, he very quickly was involved in Pop Idol in the UK. Mm. Um, 
I think we probably helped cement the fact that he's seen that as a good route to market for new bands mm. and that was his business was pop music what's he like what you see is what you get um, he's an exceptionally talented um, businessman um, and he's been hugely successful at doing what he does um, one of the things I learned from Simon and another guy who's one of sort of my big mentor uh, is Mark Burnett another English guy who's sort of the biggest guy in America and he's the guy I acquired the rights to The Apprentice from meet them here in Dublin next week and Mark and Simon share one thing they think big and scale is nearly the bit that excites them rather than scares them and mm-hmm. I'm exactly the same mm-hmm. in fact we when we did Eurostar after Pop Stars, I wanted to scale that show so we started in a little hotel room then built the show into this big sort of stage show go from you know a small stage to a larger stage I wanted to finish it in the point, uh, but Orti felt that was that step too far. That's just too big, and the funny thing is, the year, the first year of that, the final of it, one point seven million people voted. Uh, we had four and a half million people vote over the whole series. It was absolutely off the scale. One point four million people watched the final. It could e- easily house uh, the scale that we wanted to do, and had that happened, I think it could. It, it could have been a show that broke out ahead of all the other ones mm. because it was way bigger <clears throat> in yeah. scale and that's what what's ended up happening anyway the the monster live shows in the UK particularly yeah all, all over the world um, and you know all you see is you know The Voice is the latest iteration of a talent show I grew up watching Opportunity Knocks New Faces talent shows have been around before TV you know Vaudeville used to have talent um, quests and searches and every local community centre in, in the country would have a, a talent show in their local pub so there's nothing new in it and, and there will be lots of versions in the, in, in the future and we'll always need a way to find new talent Yeah. Um, so you worked in a lot of international formats have you exported formats? Yeah, so after Popstars actually we exported our first format um, Popstars had a very simple premise it was um, a producer watching his nine-year-old daughter dreaming of, uh, she was miming to a Spice Girls video, dreaming of becoming a pop star. The premise was, let's make the dream a reality. Um, when I was a kid, I had a different dream. I used to play football, not very good, hmm. but my dream was to be a uh, footballer. So we created a show called Soccer Stars, uh, which we launched. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get the Irish version up just before we were about to go into production, we lost our main sponsor, um, who decided to sell their business, Aircom, at the time. Um, but they were the main sponsors behind um, Irish national soccer at the time, and this was a natural progression for them, brought them into grassroots, but they decided to sell their business. Mm. So um, we, we never actually made a show here. The first production of it actually was in Portugal. Um, but we did a couple of seasons in Pan-Arabic versions in the Middle East, Turkey, Greece, Malaysia um, and a simple premise you know we we found new soccer stars and um, uh, part of the format was a career with a professional club and how like do you license it per year or per, per season or per star how, how do you sell a format yeah so you, you well you first of all you need to capture it you need to you know you don't just sell here's here's our tape you go mm-hmm. and do it mm-hmm. What you do when you license a, an official format, and there's lots of people who do copies and rip-offs, 
And I think that is a bad business because you don't get the expertise. And I think the selling and licensing of formats is a you're selling somebody's intellectual property. You're getting to use it, but you get the know how you, you learn from all the mistakes that the originators learned along the way. Um, and you get that information and, and support and um, hand-holding uh, when you're doing the show. Uh, we've been very lucky to do the Irish version of some of the biggest international formats in the world. And those rights holders are very happy with what we were able to do on very small budgets in comparison to the budgets they would normally see in bigger markets. Um, but we can only do those shows because the value of the original intellectual property is so precise mm -hmm. um, and when we create a show now um, we've created a couple of new shows um, recently our most recent show on RTE What Are You Eating is a show we'll be launching I'm in Cannes next week um, looking to find people to license that show um, and what we license is you know the whole concept the the, the roadmap to creating that show in terms of how you'd research and put it together, find your contributors, what the premise is in each episode and how you go about it. Um, and that's what it is. It's a, it's like, it's like, it's a franchising model. It's like uh, taking the rights to McDonald's in or yeah. Pronto Print. It's, it's a business model. And um, what's next on the, what's next format you're going to maybe work with or you, that you're, um, designing. So currently we have uh, quite busy at the moment. We've got obviously the the voice series five is coming to the last few weeks of it. We were about to launch after a year to break uh, a new season of Dragon's Den in two weeks time on RT One, um, in conjunction with Emirates Airlines. Um, we have our current new series. What are you eating on with Philip Boucher Hayes on RT One? And home of the year is um, we're over halfway through that season. It's the second season of that show. Um, we're about to do a show for the BBC on um, people who donate their body to science um, in Queen's University. It's a very um, sensitive show looking at that whole world of cadavers and, and how they actually uh, help advance medical science. And it would never happen without the goodwill of the people who donate. Um, we're also um, following up our success with Undercover NI, which had us embedded with the Organised Crime Task Force of the PSNI. Following that up with a, a show where we're now talking to the Armed Response Unit of the PSNI, in other words, mm. the Riot Squad with the, the water cannons and etc. Mm. etc. Et uh, it's all very exciting, lots of blue lights and running around. Um, and um, we're creating a bunch of new shows. Uh, in Shinnewill TV but the most exciting thing for us at the moment is uh, we're restructuring our, our business and opening up new businesses uh, with new partners um, we're um, now in the world of scripted TV drama it's a whole exciting new world and I think the world of TV content is rapidly changing um, I think the way we as consumers watch programs is, mm. is changing and we're going to be watching them on lots of different um, new technologies and channels. And those channels may not necessarily be broadcast channels. Um, we already see the popularity um, in Ireland of Netflix, um, but it, it will be very, very soon when Google will be offering full-end programs, whether it be on YouTube or just on Google Video. 
um, and obviously Apple, um, iTunes, um, have been in the content game for a while, but they really mm. haven't gone after the Netflix world yet. But when they do, mm. they will do it with their usual um, Apple scale, and I'm sure they will be customers for ours in the future. Mm. Or possibly that world will, will change slightly in that they'll facilitate us talking directly to our customers. Um, we're also look, talking to a, a, an app development company here in Ireland um, where we may look to release a scripted drama um, directly to the consumers via an app. So lots of exciting things we're looking at and trying um, and really our business is remaining um, true to its core. Um, what we do is we create stories, we create um, uh, content that people want to watch and hopefully they'll want to watch it in many many more numbers in many many more means mm. but the big future for us is no longer directly to an Irish audience only we're looking to a global audience yeah uh, and where I suppose where do you find out about key trends and things that are happening and because you're obviously future proof your business because it's digital but a lot of other businesses out there maybe are fr- frightened of it and in danger of being left behind I think um, going back to college as a mature student engenders one thing in me which I believe is is critical to success in business and that is lifelong learning um, and I think if anyone believes they know it all um, that's the day they stop um, and start winding down their business um, I enjoy uh, learning about new things I enjoy going on various programs and courses I speak regularly at um, conferences and markets around the world I get to hear other speakers around those conferences and and you 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 feel a trend changing Mm -hmm. you feel um, things moving Um, you see it later but you definitely feel it Mm -hmm. and you get that sense of people are moving in different directions or or people who you speak to on a regular basis and I would go to the, a lot of world markets three, four, five times a year, every year now for over nearly 20 years. And over that period, that's when you really see trends. Um, mm. You don't see it from one market to the next, but over a period you definitely yeah. do. Um, and do you have any books that you've read recently or business books or business podcasts that you listen to that you would recommend? Um, I'm terrible at the business podcasts. Um, I tend to, um, I do like listening um, to podcasts, um, but what I tend to do is I'm a big cyclist and I was running training for the marathon a couple of years ago. So those long hours either on the saddle or running, I love listening, not to music, but to mm. podcasts. Uh, but there are podcasts of everything. But yeah. Back to my football, um, fanatical sports fan um but also i do listen to some media podcasts but i listen to books yeah rather than reading books um i suppose getting older the eyesight's gone a little um so uh, it's much more pleasurable listening to a book um than actually reading it when i can barely read two pages these days when i'm asleep yeah. <laughs> and and is it like audible something like audible yeah yeah it's a good app um but there's so many other t- mm. stuff out there. But yeah, it's um, there's the last one I listened to going up a, a mountain in Spain on a bike was Andre Agassi's life story. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. 
Um, someone playing years ago, he was phenomenal. So, would you think you're a more creative person than commercial or both? Um, um, there, it's, it's a sort of a running joke in this um, um, company and sometimes in the industry here. A lot of people feel that Shinna Will is a, you know, we're a company do a lot of big um, shows, but the, the creatives are always people I brought in. Um, you know, they come, they go, they move on, and they've got great careers. Um, I've been here all the way through, and we've managed to keep evolving. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't describe myself as the key creative, but I don't think you can work in a business like this um, at the business level, at the business management level, without having a creative um, uh, ability. Um, and we have to innovate, we have to react, we have to be ahead of the curve. Um, innovation is the word I would, I think is more applicable than creative. Um, creative for us is in our DNA, in our day-to-day -day core activity. Everything we do is done in a creative way. We try and do it at the very highest quality creatively. Um, but what drives the business on is innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, just I'm wondering how, how do you go about finding new businesses through your network or through um, people's finding you online or how, how do you grow keep growing growing those businesses you know the, the shows and getting the sponsors etc um, you you've got a, it starts inside you um, and with your team and we have you know we have a close small management team um, we, you know we sometimes we're, we're reacting to a business issue. Uh, or problem um, and that um, offers up ways to innovate around it to either avoid it or address it and invariably um, that leads you down looking at different paths which you're only aware of because you've been out there looking at what goes on. Um, I have built up a substantial network and you know a show like The Voice for example um, we acquired the Irish rights to that because of a long-established network, um, uh, a woman was working in the company who originated the show in Holland. I've known her for over 10 years. She emailed me one day and said, look, Larry, there's a show over here we're doing. I think you like it. It's right up your street. She sent me an email with a link to a very early um, shot of what they were doing in Holland. And straight away I knew they've changed the game. That's mm -hmm. different. Um, and we option the show so it's a multitude of ways um, you know I think networking in this business is critical and key um, and to move up the food chain in this business credibility is so so important um, people's lives depend on their ability to work with people who can deliver nobody can afford to have a mistake you're in this business you know, you might be get away with having one show that doesn't do particularly well, um, mm -hmm. but have two, and you could watch a very um, small order book after that. And we've been very lucky, touch wood. Um, we've delivered hits, and mm -hmm. we could tr strive to always try and be the biggest and the best and number one. That drives you. Um. You know, I've come from a, a background where, you know, my father worked hard all his life. Um, he worked at three jobs. Uh, he drove a bread van, he drove a taxi at night, and he fixed cars. 
Um, I think that's one of the things that has been um, mm. a key driver in my life. Um, we've had a long um, and hard work ethic. You know, I don't take time off. I, I, I wake up, I check emails, and I'm checking them when I'm going to bed. Um, and it's, it, I catch up on things over the weekend. Uh, I'm lucky, um, and now I'm working in something that I quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes it easier. And just finally, if there's people out there who want to get into television, I think um, there's no quick fix. And people, if they're looking for the fifteen minutes of fame, and these days it's fifteen seconds, um, they'll get it. But that will not get them a career or a life. Um, working on television is tough. It is incredibly hard. It's long hours. It's very antisocial. It's not very well paid. Um, but if you love what you're doing, people will do it. Um, and once you go in with your eyes open and know that's what it is, it can be quite a rewarding career. Um, but it's, you know, in a small country, it's never going to be a hugely rewarding financially. Uh, it'll always be a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. We have to do a lot of shows just to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not because we're printing money. It's because we need to do those shows to keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. We're big staff and we're, we we want to make it bigger so we'll need more shows um, and if people want to learn a bit more about you can they go to your website or yeah we're in the process of uh, upgrading it so it's sort of halfway between the new one and you know but hopefully in the next few weeks it'll be fully um, developed and launched and we are re, re, re sort of launching the business and expanding it so watch that space so shinawill.com correct yeah Great. Okay, Larry, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we look forward to seeing how the new business develops. Thanks, Colin. Thank you. You have been listening to the Connector Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show, and for more in-depth interviews with influential and inspirational makers, movers, and shakers, go to podcast.connector.ie. If you like this Connector Podcast, please share the love and tell all your friends about it. Leave a review or rating and please don't forget to subscribe. Thank you from the team at Connector Podcast.